Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never, ever about food or weight. Never, ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever, ever. Hello, everyone. This is Laura Lee Rourke from It's Not About Food podcast. Thank you for being here today. And uh, I'm going to introduce my guests in just a second. But right now, I'm going to talk about the Body Love card, Feelings and Eating. And so the front of the card is the goddess is standing with her heart open and looking up at this spiral, this circles around her head of all these different foods, cake and egg and a hamburger and potatoes and fruit and ice cream and it looks like some chips, some cheese. And she is just looking at all these foods circling her head. And the little deer animal, her power animal, has a question mark on her face looking at, what are you doing? And in the back of the card is, overeating and undereating are both ways to cope with overwhelming feelings. They can become a tool to calm down, numb the pain, or to get away from the feelings. Once we become aware of our overeating or undereating in the moment, we can then look beneath the behaviors of the underlying feelings and explore what might have caused them. So for me and my work at Beyond Hunger and my own recovery from an eating disorder many years ago, one of the things that I realized at some point is, oh, this is a way of coping. It's not because I'm an idiot. <laughs> I thought forever, If I could just get it together and eat the right thing, I would be fine. And I do have clients that come in still today thinking if I just dialed my food in better, I would be okay. And it's not like it's not true that good food is a really wonderful thing to give ourselves, just like love and enough water and enough movement and enough health. But it is not about that. I wasn't over or under eating because I didn't have the right diet. I was over and under eating because I didn't know what else to do to help myself. I didn't have another way of calming myself down. I didn't have another way to dealing with my feelings. This became everything for me. So once I started got that, I went, oh, it's just another tool and I can get more tools in my toolbox. I think I turned a little page in my own recovery and I'm so honored to be able to watch that for others when they get that idea that this is just a tool they've used and they can get more tools. So I'm so really grateful for Sandra to be here. I'm gonna have her introduce herself and tell us what she's been doing all this time about feelings and eating or whatever she wants to talk about. And she has a great podcast, I think. Is it a podcast? It's literally (laughs) a support group that I've been running since COVID started. And it's every Saturday morning and it's with me and a guest and we speak and there's hundreds of other people that join us every Saturday morning as a way of feeling connected and supported through this time of isolation as a tool because many of the tools 
have been taken away that in this COVID isolation, you know, sort of fuels a lot of the things that fuel the eating disorder. And a lot of the tools that we've developed have been thwarted. We can't go out. We can't do a lot of the things that we do right. uh, in place of the food or not food. Yeah, we can't meet a friend for a walk and talk these things through or like, am I getting a little squirrely? And your friend says, yes, you are. We don't have the places and the tools that we had before this all started. So in a way, we formed a community and it was something for people to count on. And also it was something for the professionals to really stay connected. We're we're also used to seeing each other at conferences and giving talks and we haven't been able to do that. All of our conferences and meeting places have been canceled. It's so true. That's what's happened. I was just talking to somebody the other day about, I just miss my eating disorder peeps, you know? My peeps, my family. So what <laughs> happened was I said to Carolyn, they're doing all these things for the therapist to try and help them treat their patients. What about the patients? And so Carolyn said, do it. And I was like, do it? Okay. I knew nothing about technology or, and it's really taken off. And I've got a lot of interns now that are helping me and everybody's really been there. All the professionals have been really volunteering their time and very supportive. So that is something that I have going on. That is fabulous. And what's the name of it? That's Morningside Chats in the Living Room. Chats at the Living Room, www.chatsinthelivingroom.com for guests. We had Cindy Bulick on last week and this week, Karen Samuel. Just a whole litany of our peers, Laura Lee. It feels very rewarding and purposeful. But getting back to the food and the feelings, I was thinking the whole time you were talking, what I have said from the very beginning, and I come to this field as a nutritionist who saw people using and abusing food on both sides of the coin. I call it two sides of the same coin, eating or not eating. I've always said that this is a creative adaptation for your survival. You use this in some way to help you. And at this point, it's hurting you, it's harming you. And so we need to figure out other ways that you soothe, distance, distract, calm, sometimes hurt, sometimes applaud, sometimes acknowledge. What are the ways in which I'm using food or not food where I'm not actually in tune with what I'm feeling? And I thought about it this morning when I thought about coming on. I always talk about this sense of confusion that starts when we were little kids. And this isn't about mother blaming or father blaming or anything. It's really just about not knowing. When we're little kids, we come out smiling, but when we start crying, often, food is the answer. You know, it doesn't matter whether I'm crying because I'm sad. It doesn't matter whether I'm crying because I'm lonely. It doesn't matter whether I'm crying because my diaper's wet or I want to be held or picked up. So what came out of that for me this morning was this word confusion. There's confusion. Wow. Food becomes the answer. Exactly. Food becomes the answer to everything. And as we get older, we're told you shouldn't have so much food. So then not food becomes the answer. And in the meantime, we've lost the attunement to what was the actual need that I had. What am I longing for? What was I hungry for? First, as a little child, did I need to be picked up? Did I need to be fed? Did I need my diaper changed? Did I need to be held? Did I need to play with somebody? Yeah. Did I need somebody to see my fingers moving? What did I need? We've lost that. And then as adults, because we never really practice that, if we use food or not food, we didn't really understand and interpret what sadness meant, what loneliness meant, what fear meant. And I call the the feelings your antennas. All of that gets thwarted when my only way of responding to it 
is food or not food. Exactly. Yes. It's a beautiful way of putting it. And I think about, I tell my clients, you're wanting something. If you're not hungry, it's probably not food. So what do you think it is? And they're like, well, I don't care. I don't want to deal with it anymore. I want me to just stop wanting things. It's like, really? Good luck. (laughs) So that really speaks to the inside internal whole, right? Yes. And how the whole gets behaviorally perpetuated because if I'm not giving myself what I want, so at the bottom of my mountain for healing is you have your own wants, needs, hungers, pleasures, and joys. And you have to learn what they are so that you can fill them up. I'm repeating all the time, food is not the answer. Food is not the answer. Like you repeat, it's never about food. It's never about food. And so the problem is because I've numbed and anesthetized, I've lost touch with that. So we're on the bottom of this mountain and I'm going... What do you want, need, and hunger for? Yours are different than mine. Yours are different than Laura Lee's. They're different than your parents, and they're different than the cultures. We have to figure out what they are. That's right. You have to learn how to express what you want, need, and hunger for. And then you have to learn how to meet that need more often than not. In my room, I kind of put a big number on it because I want people to know that they can actually voice themselves. I say 95%. And then on the other side of that healing mountain where we discover our own wants, needs, and hungers and how to express those wants, needs, and hungers. And after years of not expressing, how do I learn how to get good at expression so that I get my needs met more often than not? On the other side of that mountain, no matter how good you and I, Laura Lee, are going to be about expressing our wants, needs, and hunger, the world isn't always going to cooperate. So on the other side of that mountain, I have to know what to do with myself. What tools do I have? What feelings am I feeling? And what tools do I use when I feel sad, lonely, bored, isolated because of COVID or anything else? How do I take care of myself without food or not food? And often when food or not food escalates, when the symptom escalates, I think that's a red flag. In my room, I'm like, okay, what's going on? There's your red flag. All of a sudden, your obsessionality about food or your obsessionality about not eating or eating has escalated. So that to me means you have some feeling under there that it's either too painful or you just haven't recognized yet. You're still confused about that feeling. You feel that feeling. And it feels like to you, like you want to eat or you don't want to eat. That's the interpretation. Right. Or beat yourself up or think that you're too fat or too whatever, not good enough, or you need to get another boyfriend or, you know, whatever. And and, and sometimes it's a thought that you don't want to have and you want to push it away. And sometimes it's actually a physical feeling. I had a client the other day who I got on the phone, she goes, I've been feeling really, really sick. She put her hands right up to her chest and right by her heart. And she was like, I've been feeling really, really sick. You know, I I actually had to grow up and whatever. I don't want to talk about that too much on this, but just because she was gutturally ill. And as we talked about it, we got to this place where she had made an agreement to do something that she didn't want to do. Right. And I'm like, where are you feeling that? And she did the same exact motion 
with her hands that she started the session out talking about the pain in her gut. Yeah. She put her hands right over that. I'm like, do you see what? We both lit up because I said, Sid, you made the exact same pain motion about not expressing yourself or not talking about the, this feeling. And she just lit up like a light bulb. And she goes, oh my God, what I was feeling in my body was not wanting to do what I agreed to do. And we literally on the phone at that moment in time, texted the person and said, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. And the whole thing just flittered away. And she was able to have the feeling and recognize how instead of eating or not eating or having a pain in her body, she could express herself. And the best part about it, she was so afraid to tell this person. And the best part, of, she was frightened. She was like, I'll, I'll do it. And that's why I said, let's do it now together. You always like, that's a tool yeah. using people to support. The next session, she goes, you're not going to believe it. My friend texted me back. She's so sorry she asked me to do that. She knows that it was overwhelming. And she really is grateful that I was able to tell her uh, that I can't do it. Of course. Oh, my God. All the feelings attached to that without any eating or not eating. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I... When you're whining with nurses. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. Rich flavor is one of your favorites. You'll want to join me on The Wine Road. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. I think that we do that so much with so many things. We don't know how else to take care of ourselves for a long time. And I know that I tell my clients when I wanted to say when I was overeating, when I wanted to overeat, there's a lot of things I could do. I could call a friend, I'd go for a walk, I could do all these things. But really, a lot of times it was that I hadn't put down a boundary. And that's what was going on. It wasn't really about, sure, I can take a bath and do these things. And those are all great things. But it was so much before any of that happened. And the red flag is, I want to eat and I'm not hungry. Or I don't, I will not eat and I am hungry. <laughs> so my golden nugget with that, because I believe that's really true in more often than not in, in overconsumption, is that I'm trying to, I always say yes when I want to say no, yeah. and I'm filling this empty void because I'm giving to others but I'm not giving to myself. And I say across the continuum of eating disorders, anorexic is more like saying, I can't take it in. I'm not allowed. It's not okay. I have to say no. And on the other side of with binge eating disorder, there's this sense that I can't get enough and I can't say no. I have to say yes to everybody, but I'm always saying no to myself. So that boundary thing is such an important thing because I say, what you can negotiate your food. It's not an all or none thing. Just like you have to negotiate your relationships and you have to get comfortable. And these are the feelings that usually come with not saying no. You have to get comfortable with taking care of yourself, speaking up for yourself, setting a limit, setting a boundary, creating conflict or disagreement. It's okay for you not to have the same opinion as somebody else. You don't have to be pleasing the universe right. because when you please the universe, you shortchange yourself. 
Of course. And taking that back to that little baby that's crying, and instead of the parent or whoever is in charge of the baby, finding out what's really going on with the baby, but just keep feeding the baby, that's what happens. I was able to watch my son and my daughter-in-law with my grandkids, and they both were very good about, what is it, sweetie? You know, the baby can't talk, but the baby wanted something. And food was definitely one thing, but also was holding and also was, let's go for a walk and also was, let's get new diapers on and just stuff is just not okay with the baby. (laughs) So... (laughs) What do we want to do? Just figuring it out. It speaks to something else. It also speaks to it's A, what the baby actually needs, and then it's the holding environment and how skilled and capable are we all when we come we For come sure. to the next step with what we learned from what we got. And if we we came from a non-communicating family or if we came from a family where feelings weren't okay or we came from a family where anger wasn't okay or we came from a family where there was a lot of anger. As we begin to grow, we are looking at what's okay to do and what's not okay to do. I talk about my clients who have been in alcoholic families where like they're sort of reconnoitering, like looking around. Is it okay for me to say this? Is this going to be a good day or a bad day? Can I speak about how I feel or should I just be quiet and make sure there's no turmoil in the house today? So there's two parts that are very important. There's one is being able to identify your own wants and needs and hungers. And there's two, is it okay for me to have them in this family or do I need to keep them in? And then as we grow into adulthood, our emotional things become our behavioral patterns. So if I learned in my family that I better be quiet or I could get in trouble or I'll be in trouble if I do something or if I have that feeling, it's not okay. And I internalize that, I start acting like that. Then the way I act becomes the way I act in the world. And then that way I act becomes the way I act in my own family. Yes, of course. And it continues on. And it's great to see because I feel like I did as well as I could with what I had to work with. And I'm grateful to my son for just knowing how to deal with this little baby in a much better way than I did. But he was also in his late 20s and 30s when he had his kids and I was 18. So I shouldn't have even been in charge of a goldfish, much less a child, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Right. And that really is, this is not about saying your mother should know or you should have known what the kid was feeling. It's really more about how do we elevate the status of parenting and the role and the importance of it, both when you're a child, but also taking responsibility, like you said, along the continuum of eating disorders to learn more about what's creating this turmoil in my head. You know, we start out as babies with this smiley face. And then by the time people get to your office or my office, they're just locked in turmoil. I'm like, how much space is this taking up inside your head? How hard is it for you to have a positive feeling? How hard is it for you to experience joy or satisfaction or pleasure through this veneer of how badly you feel about yourself or how loathing you feel about what you're eating or how you judge your own body? There's not a lot of room in there for anything else. And that perpetuated day in and day out behavior elevates this sense of worthlessness that we see all the time. 
That's repeated. Exactly. Over and over again. So when we think about the idea of feelings in eating, what is sort of a little one, two, three thing about that you can tell your clients, remember this and this, you know, and... I say these two things. I say the, the further your outside is from what you really feel on the inside, that's where the eating disorder, whether it be food or not food goes. And that's the pain. That's, yeah. That's the pain. That's where it lives. And I, that's where it lives. And my golden nugget is when you're not doing what you need to be doing and when you're not saying what you need to be saying and when you're not, my patients say, when you're not thinking what you need to be thinking, will be in... Where's my food? Where's my food? Where's my? You will be in that disorder. Your mind will take over. Yes. Um, and, the obsession. When you vice versa, when you're doing something you don't want to be doing, and when you're thinking something you don't want to be thinking, you will be in the gap, in the pain, which requires the eating disorder tool. And what we're working on in our practice is coming up with other tools so that we can close that gap and get closer and closer to who we are on the inside. And whatever that is, whatever that looks like, feels like it's all okay to manifest your true self has a freedom to it. There's freedom in that. And food or not food is just a trap which creates torment in the head. So that's what I would say. Get really close to what you think, what you feel, what you want, what you hunger for on the inside and get enough support and enough tools to be able to manifest it. You will never get there by food or not food. Right. It will just be this flipping back and forth and it will take up a lot of space inside your mind and it will thwart your aliveness. And you're too valuable for that. We're all too valuable for that. Who is the guy that's on Trevor Noah said, ain't nobody got time for that. He says <laughs> yes. that all the time and I love it because I feel we like we don't. We have this one little wild life as Mary Oliver calls it. We one yes. tiny life that this is all really good to learn and to grow and stuff like that. But at some point we have to step off the cliff. We have to fly. And I couldn't depend on my eating disorder anymore to keep me down or to keep me out. It just didn't work anymore. It just work. took up space, closed your aliveness and made you feel bad about yourself. Those are not great ways to be present in the world. You have to make choices when you're thinking, especially I'm a nutritionist. So I would be saying it's not like I don't think food matters because your body is an amazing machine. You want to give it stuff that makes it feel good. But in realms of action, you want to ask, is this hurtful or harmful? Is this in my best interest? Does this support my goals? And am I going to feel better about this on the long run, in the long side? Or does it just make me comfortable to eat or not eat right now? Can I get to the other side and make the decision about what's better for me? So those are my cues. Is this in my best interest? Does this support my goals? How am I going to feel about this tomorrow, the next day? Is this hurtful or harmful or healing? I love having people ask questions because it interferes with the automated responses, right. interferes with the auto thinking. And it reminds them, I think, that they're worthy and they can make a choice. That's so true. It is exactly what you're talking about. And given a choice, it's sort of like, why bother looking at our actions? It's in order to find the choice of what you want to do about it. And maybe sometimes all we do is we just sit with it. And maybe sometimes the action is to actually do something. Even awareness is a new phase, right? That's if right. I become aware that saying no is something I've had difficulty with, and when I do that, I end up over-consuming because I'm trying to push that down, then 
that's a great awareness. And it may take a few steps or a few people or a few months or years before I'm able to act on it. But awareness is the first step. Yes. Seeing it differently, changing the lens is the first step in the process of, of change. So right now you have a platform and you can say whatever you like to say and put it out in the world. I know you're already doing this every Saturday morning, which is fabulous, really. So is there anything that you would like to say or remind people or? Yeah, you know, my work has taught me that we are all special, unique, valuable, important. We're all worthy of taking good care of ourselves, of nurturing ourselves, of having relationships and friends and people. And we come into the planet like that. So don't shortchange yourself. Find those people who can support that process in your life. Find a way of thinking and being and eating and feeling and connecting that nurture, that unique, special worthy part of you. And I know I say this from coming from a perspective of a nutritionist, but for me, that's all nourishment. We all deserve to be nourished and taken care of and feel good about ourselves. And I would love to invite all of you to come to chatsinthelivingroom.com and come visit with us on a Saturday morning. We've been in COVID for a long time, but I have a feeling we're going to continue to be there. I've asked people, they're sending in their artwork. I'm just like, send me anything you want that'll be connected. You know, like, I'm like, don't send me any more jewelry. I have a lot of jewelry. But I'm getting pieces of art and flowers and things because that's what it feels like to have a community and a connection. And that is more filling than any food or not food. So on the back of the card where feelings and eatings, there's a bottom part that says, for today, I will practice noticing when I am overeating or undereating and ask myself, what am I feeling right now? I will close my eyes and take a few breaths, asking myself, where in my body do I feel any sensations? Can I identify my emotions? And if so, what might have happened that triggered this feeling? So again, it's just asking questions of yourself. You know that your your eating disorder is active and the questions are always, what is going on with me? How can I help myself through this? What tune do I need in. To- where, where am I not being congruous to what I want in my life? Like tune in. How, well, how can I tune in? What, what am I not paying attention to? What happened that I'm feeling this way? Red flag. And it's following that golden thread back to the aha. And they don't always have to be a burning bush. Sometimes it's just, oh, that guy looked at me weird and I felt funny after that. Yeah, that's true. And then after time, at time, you get to anticipate where you're going to have that feelings and do some care before. That's right. You don't end up having to rescue yourself. I call it a life preserver. So I have what I call a lifesaver card. And so there's a bunch of things on that will help you when you have to go to the party, when you have to go do something that you might be having more underlying vulnerable feelings or antagonistic feelings. What's your lifesaver card? What are your tools? Who are your supports? And how are you going to get through this? You have to have that before, during, and also, as you say, when you find yourself with those thoughts, how can you help yourself and understand it and become more aware? It's like taking really good care of ourselves, body, mind, and spirit. 
your feelings and your antennas. I always say that your antennas, they tell you where you want to be. Well, Sandra, I am so glad that you were on today. Just really lovely talking to you. And I appreciate you taking the time out to have this conversation with me. Thank you for listening. You can find me on all the social medias at It's Not About Food. And if you would like to get the show a week early and ad-free, you can become a member at Patreon. Search It's Not About Food podcast. Thanks so much.